If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show. And today, and around the Christmas season, we bring you special stories about a special time, and the stories behind the stories of our Christmas traditions. And today, we're going to focus on Christmas songs we love to sing, and these are fascinating stories that we hope will enrich your holiday celebration. Ace Collins is the author of Stories Behind the Best Love Songs of Christmas. Collins is an ace at song history, and he's here to introduce you to people you've never met, stories you've never heard, and meanings you'd never have imagined. Here's Ace. One of the best Christmas songs is O Holy Night. You can trace it back almost 200 years to France when a local priest asked a... um, parishioner who was the commissioner of wines to write a poem for the Christmas Eve service. He was riding in a carriage on the way to Paris. He wrote the poem, was so impressed with it that he took it to a friend of his who wrote operas. And he asked him, can you write music to this poem? The man read the poem, said it's a beautiful poem, but I think I'm not the right guy to do it. He said, no, no, you have this handle on on music. I want you to write it. So he put together some beautiful music to go with it. It was sung in a little church in France that evening of Christmas Eve Mass, and people were so impressed it became a tradition in that church, and within five years had spread clear across France. And then it began to spread across England. Ironically enough, in about 1840, the French church threw it out of services because they deemed it was too secular. Think of O Holy Night being secular. But the whole point was this. The man who had written the music to go with the lyrics was Jewish, and they didn't want a Jewish man's music associated with Christmas. Well, that didn't stop the English from singing it at Christmas time. And then it came to the United States in the 1850s, not as a Christmas song, 
but as a part of the abolitionist movement. Because in the third verse, there are a number of lines dealing with, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. In his name all oppression shall cease. It was after the Civil War that this song, O Holy Night, which is one of the most beautiful of all carols, uh, began to be a part of the caroling movement here in the United States and was brought into churches. It's also a song that has two other great stories with it. One, the Franco-Prussian War. On Christmas Eve, some French guy jumped out of a foxhole and sang that song. He was answered by a German who sang Silent Night, and the two sides got together and had 24 hours of celebrations of Christmas. So it really was the song that brought peace on earth. Let's go ahead to 1906, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A man named Fessenden is working on doing something that everyone thought was impossible. He is going to create a transmitter that is so strong it will broadcast the human voice. Now, Marconi even said this was impossible. Edison said it was impossible. Alexander Graham Bell said you can't have a transmitter that can do that. Yet on Christmas Eve, 1906, Fessenden tried his new invention out. And people who were in telegraph offices and ships at sea and newsrooms and weather bureaus suddenly heard his voice reading the second chapter of Luke rather than dot, dot, dash, dash. Now imagine what you must have felt like to hear a human voice coming over these little speakers when you had been told it was impossible. Then Fessenden picked up a violin and the very first song ever played on radio was O Holy Night. I get asked about the 12 days of Christmas a great deal, and there's some controversy with this song. Uh, there are some people that believe that the meaning of the 12 days of Christmas was added after the song was written. It was not written as anything but a kind of a silly little Christmas song. And I don't know if it was written as a code song or if it became a code song. But I can tell you this. The Catholic Church did use it. I've talked to Catholic historians. I've talked in both the United States and Great Britain as a code song when Catholicism was outlawed by the Church of England. And this song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, therefore had religious meanings that were attached to the lyrics. Once again, were they written as code or did the Catholic Church seize upon this and find a way to make it a code? I think it was written as code, but I I don't know that... You know, the argument's going to go back and forth on that for eternity. None of us will ever know which is right and which is wrong. But I can tell you what the code words in this were and what they meant. A partridge in a pear tree. The partridge is the only bird that will lay down its life for its nest. That partridge in a pear tree, therefore, is about Jesus Christ. The second day of Christmas was two turtle doves. What are the two turtle doves? Those are the gospel, the Old and the New Testaments. Three French uh, hens, well, that is a very interesting thing because that, those birds represent faith, hope, and love. It goes back to 1 Corinthians 13. Fourth day of Christmas, four birds calling. Well, what are the four birds calling? They're the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Fifth day of Christmas, five golden rings. That's the Torah, the five books of the Old Testament. Six days of Christmas is my true love gave to me six geese a-laying. What could that be? Well, you know, those lyrics can be translated back to the first story found in the Bible. Each egg represents a day when the world was created. The seventh day, of course, when it was hatched. Seventh uh, day of Christmas, my true love gave to me seven swans a-swimming. What are those seven swans of swimming? Well, that's the gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, um, leading, and compassion. Eight maids a-milking. There was nothing lower in England that was the, than being a milkmaid. And this is the story of Christ coming not just for the king, but also for the least of these. And the milkmaid in England, they were definitely the least of these. And you've been listening to Ace Collins tell the story of one of the best-loved Christmas songs of all time. And by the way, just think about it. And we take these things for granted, hearing a voice through a speaker. And what are the first things ever read? A passage from the gospel. And of course, A Holy Night, the first song ever performed. And on Christmas Eve of all days. When we come back, more of the stories behind the best-loved songs of Christmas here 
on Our American Stories. Here at Our American Stories, we bring you inspiring stories of history, sports, business, faith, and love. Stories from a great and beautiful country that need to be told. But we can't do it without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love our stories in America like we do, please go to OurAmericanStories.com and click the donate button. Give a little. Give a lot. Help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. And we continue here with Our American Stories in our special Christmas edition Let's pick up where we last left off with Ace Collins sharing with us the story of the coded Catholic Christmas carol, The Twelve Days of Christmas. Here's Ace. Nine ladies dancing. What was nine ladies dancing? Well, those are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Ten lords a-leaping is pretty easy. You know, that is... The judges and the law, 10 lords, well, that's also the 10 commandments. The 11th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me 11 pipers piping. Those are the disciples that took the story out to the world. Well, you may say there's 12 disciples. Judas did not take the word out. The 11 disciples took the word out. And finally, the last one is 12 drummers drumming. Well, that you can tie that directly to the Catholic Church because that's the Apostles' Creed. And so... That is the story behind the 12 days of Christmas. And I think it's one of the most fascinating stories of all because it was, essentially speaking, a teacher's aid. And that makes it very special when you look at history. And one of the things we've got to recognize here, most of our great carols and most of our great traditions are came about because of the missionaries, the early missionaries in the Catholic Church as well. We owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude for all the different things and elements of Christmas that they brought to us from the cultures that they went out and had missionary contact with. Getting back to one of the little known things, there's so many great stories about Silent Night, but did you realize this? The little bitty church in Austria where that little poem was brought to life is St. Nicholas. Me, it just, you know, and, and we would not know the story of Silent Night, nor would we sing it, because it was a one, it was, you know, it was put together because the organ didn't work for one time only. Somebody had to had to fix the organ, and the guy who came by to fix the organ said, What did you do for music on Christmas Eve? And the priest played him that song, he wrote down the lyrics, he wrote down the music, and took it everywhere he went in Europe fixing organs. And within 20 years it had spread to the United States, and the priest who was this little priest, Joseph Moore, and Obendorf, Austria, had no idea that anybody was singing his song because he didn't even quit singing it. And he went to uh, Cologne, Germany one time, and there it was, ringing from this cathedral. He went, how did they find out about that? You know. And so uh, he died without ever being given credit for writing the song. You know. But what an impact this little priest who never went into anything except little churches in Austria had on the world because that is the Jesus loves me of all Christmas carols. You know, everybody knows it. I love to look at what music has meant to traditions because I I don't think you can have Christmas without the music. You know, I've always told people, at my house it wasn't Christmas until you heard Bing sing White Christmas and Elvis sing Blue Christmas. You had to have both of those songs play before it really became Christmas. And, And the music of the season was not always that important if you were not a Catholic. Yes, uh... Glory in Excess of Deus dates back probably 1,900 years. It dates back to at least 130, part of that song does. And, and uh, songs like uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel date back to the 900s. But most of our Christmas music is relatively new. And it was birthed after the Civil War by something that happened first in Victorian England and then spread to the United States, and that was Christmas caroling. And suddenly with Christmas caroling, you had the opportunity to write new songs that people could sing as they went house to house caroling in the 1800s and 1890s. And with the invention of the phonograph record, that really took off. One of the songs though that I think is the, is the most interesting of all of the songs that created tradition like no other was a song that was written in Medford, Massachusetts in about 1840. 
and it was written by a preacher's son for a Thanksgiving gathering in the community. His father had assigned him the task of creating a song for the Christmas choir. And he was sitting at the only piano in Medford, Massachusetts, and couldn't concentrate because of all the noise outside his door. He went outside his door, and these teenage boys were attempting to impress teenage girls by having drag races with a horse-drawn sleigh. Okay, I mean, that's what it was all, this, this was what inspired him. He didn't go in and write something for Thanksgiving. He wrote an 1840s Beach Boy song. It's called Jingle Bells. If you listen to it, it is all about guys trying to impress girls by going fast with their hot rods of the period. Well, the people who came in that Thanksgiving to hear this song were so impressed with the children's choir, they begged for them to put it in the Christmas uh, service as well. So imagine this reverent Christmas service, and in the middle of it, these kids are singing Jingle Bells. Well, the people who visited from Boston and New York City thought it was a Christmas song, and they took it back to New York and Boston as a Christmas song. And by the 1860s, it had spread all over the United States. Courier Knives were using it for inspiration. One horse sleigh, the images of snow, the images of children gathering, the image of riding in these sleighs, all goes back to the greatest Thanksgiving song of all time, Jingle Bells, which is nothing more than a Beach Boy song, but it is that song that has projected into our minds. Hollywood has used it, TV has used it, heaven knows how many Hallmark movies have used it now as a part of their important tradition. You can't pick up a Christmas card without having the inspiration of Jingle Bells all over it. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about American Christmas is that American Christmas was literally defined by a song about drag racing one horse sleighs in New England and was meant only for one Thanksgiving service. It's the greatest Thanksgiving song of all time. But I mean, you think about it, it, it is totally info. Oh, here's something else that is funny that goes with it too, that it ties right into it. The song Jingle Bell Rock, the first great rock and roll Christmas song, uh, Jingle Bell Rock is not about dancing. It's a, two guys from New England who happened to live in New Orleans then wrote it about a New England Christmas about rocking along as on a one-horse drawn sleigh. And if you listen to the lyrics, there's nothing about dancing or anything else. <laughs> but when Brenda Lee cut it at 12 years old, Owen Bradley was the producer, and it became this monster hit, everybody thought it was a rock and roll song. And the guys were initially appalled that people thought it was a dance song until the royalty checks started coming in. And then suddenly, oh yeah, that's fine. We meant that all along, you know, but that, it was, you know, that is what, you know, Jingle Bell Rock was all about. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it is so funny because seven of the top 10 best-selling Christmas songs of all time were written by Jewish people. White Christmas, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, Holly Jolly Christmas, uh, Jingle Bell Rock, but Holly Jolly Christmas, Rudolph, and Jingle Bell Rock were all written by Johnny Marks. And so you start, and I, I asked a friend of mine who was Jewish one time, I said, you know, why? Uh, are there so many great Christmas songs written by Jewish people? And he said, well, it was a Jewish guy's birthday. You know, of course, I found out the stories behind all of them, and that's not the reason, but, you know, that we're still, you know, that's a great line. I mean, that is just really a good line. I started keeping track about nine, ten years ago of, of what the number one song story that people ask about on Christian radio and on secular radio. I was curious as to how they lined up. The number one song story on secular radio that people ask about is A Holy Night, which I found, found fascinating. The number one song on Christian radio that people ask me about is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe The guy who wrote Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer had a, He was a Vanderbilt student and he had a band, and his band betting, you can't write a song where somebody dies in the first verse and have anybody listen to it. <laughs> and that's, so he did. And it became a hit for uh, 
several different groups, including Elmo and Patsy, probably had the biggest hit on it. You know, Scott Bell, who wrote that song, what, is the, what, is, what did he do with his life? He's an air traffic controller. She had hoof prints on her forehead and incriminating claws marks on her back. And you're listening to the infectious storytelling of Ace Collins. It doesn't get any better, folks. When we come back, more of these great stories of our best-loved Christmas songs here on Our American Stories. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash OAS. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with our American stories in our special Christmas edition. And we do this each year around the Christmas holiday season. And we do it because we love it and we hope you love it. Um, But these stories are stories that we think need to be heard. And, well, we have great people telling them. And you're listening to Ace Collins tell the stories behind the best loved songs of Christmas. Let's pick up where we last left off. Here's Ace. You know, I mentioned earlier that it's not Christmas till you heard Bing and Elvis, maybe Perry Como. But think think about this. Bing Crosby would probably be forgotten today without all of his Christmas hits. Uh, it wouldn't be true of Elvis, but it would be true of Bing. There are other people who had one hit, Bobby Helms, who was Jingle Bell Rock, who we still listen to every year, who otherwise would have been lost forever. Dinah Shore charted 450 times, never had a Christmas song. So nobody ever remembers one of the top charting artists of the 1940s and early 50s because she didn't ever find that Christmas song. Christmas songs make you immortal if you're an artist. You know, that is just, it's mind-boggling. If you have a Christmas hit, people are going to be listening to you for the next hundred years. That's a, a big part of the, of the fact that your identity is going to be hooked on to a large degree, to a Christmas song. If you're an artist from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and they're still playing your stuff, they're playing your stuff by and large because it's Christmas. And and if you didn't have that Christmas hit, they wouldn't be playing your stuff. And so Christmas hits do make you, to a certain degree, immortal. You know, you'll you'll come back every every late November and early December, and you'll be a part of Christmas movies on Hallmark forever because they will play a blurb of of you singing one of those songs. And, um, you know, it's ironic that Elvis's big hit was Blue Christmas when his best Christmas song was uh, Why Can't Every Day Be Like Christmas, which is still played, but not like Blue Christmas is played. And Blue Christmas had been around for 11 years, well, 12 years before Elvis cut it and had gone nowhere and not been a major hit at all. Then Elvis cut it. family of the man who wrote that song told me that Blue Christmas means green at their house because of the royalty checks that Elvis generates, generates every every Christmas for them. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Irving Berlin's take on White Christmas, when he told, when he gave it to Bing Crosby, Irving Berlin told Bing, I've written some great songs for this movie Holiday Inn, but my Christmas song is just not very good. And he played it for Bing and said, oh my gosh, Irving, this is perfect. And Berlin said, are you sure? I don't think it captures the captures what Christmas is all about. And he said, no, no, don't change a word. We'll, we'll sing it. You know, a great story behind Silver Bells. That, that was in the Bob Hope movie, a Lemon Drop Kid. Bob thought he finally had a hit Christmas song. Bing had four. He wanted one, too. His best friend, all these hits. And so when he 
sang it in the movie, he thought, okay, I'm going to go into fall, this fall and cut this song and release it for Christmas because the movie wasn't coming out till Christmas anyway. Well, being hurt, listened to Bob talking about the song, went into the studio, cut Silver Bells and beat Bob to the marketplace with it, and Bing Crosby had the hit on Silver Bells, and Bob still never had a Christmas hit. <laughs> so, so his best friend beat him again. There, Mathis is another one. You know, I mentioned Como because Como's only listened to because he had all those Christmas specials. And, and you, you, you think about the song. You, Christmas is amazing because years before uh, Rosa Parks broke the color barrier on the buses and Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball, uh, Nat King Cole took a Mel Torme song and broke the color barrier at Christmas with the Christmas song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose And, you know, and, and Mel Torme had to fight to take that song he had written and, and give it to Nat King Cole because there were a lot of radio stations across the United States that wouldn't play music of a black man. And... Ultimately speaking, that song was so powerful and that song touched so many lives that in 1946, it really became the song that brought a bit of color to Christmas. And I think that's one of the great stories. But Christmas songs that last, you know, either have to have a different point of view, like Mary Did You Know, which is, you know, Mark Lowry's incredible song, or White Christmas, I'll Be Home for Christmas, were released during World War II, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Judy Garland. I'm not sure they would have been huge hits without the fact of what those songs meant to a nation divided by a world war with so many families separated during, from 1941 to 1945. And, and, and so I think the timing of when a song is released, uh, Do You Hear What I Hear released during the Civil War, it's timing that has to do, I guess, with everything in life, but it's particularly true at Christmas. If your song comes out at a time when people are um, insecure and they need something to latch onto, that it's easy to latch onto a Christmas song like White Christmas or I'll Be Home for Christmas or Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas as a, as a secular prayer uh, during that holiday season. And I think, you know, I think that is why those songs have resonated for so long when you had some really great Christmas songs that were written during that same time that uh, right before World War II or right after World War II that we don't, we don't listen to or sing anymore. Uh, timing is everything when it comes to holidays. The song stories are really good. I mean, you know, you think about uh, Gloria um, in Excelsis Deus, uh, and that's a song that goes back to probably 130 AD. There was a church leader long before we were celebrating Christmas that instructed um, all congregations in the Christian church at that time that whenever the second chapter of Luke was read, that the congregation should sing uh, Gloria in Excessive Deus. And therefore, at least part of that song that we know as Gloria now existed 1890 years ago. And if that is the case, and all the different congregations knew that song, you know, then it had to have been passed down earlier than that. So it doesn't take much of a leap of faith to think that song is probably predates that 130 edict by, you know, anywhere from 70 to 80 years. And therefore, the guy who wrote that may have actually known Jesus. And that makes that song very, very powerful indeed. Great job, as always, to Greg Hengler for putting this storytelling together and for getting us and bringing us Ace Collins, who is the author of the stories behind the best love songs of Christmas and indeed what storytelling we just heard. The story of the stories behind the best love songs of Christmas are special episodes of our special storytelling each Christmas season here on Our American Stories.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we return to Our American Stories, and all show long, we're celebrating Christmas. Between shopping, making wish lists, and putting gifts under trees, it's easy to get distracted with all the busyness and forget why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. Up next is Ashley Freeman, 
Ashley lives in our town of Oxford, Mississippi, where we broadcast, and it's about an hour south of Memphis, Tennessee. She's here to share with us the importance of putting our wants aside and serving others during the Christmas season. This past summer, I went to Africa and to Belize on a mission trip. We went out in the villages and did service work for people in need. We did a lot of physical labor around the base camp and for churches out in remote villages. We went out every day and worked with moms that had had babies, elderly people, and one day we went out and just cleaned someone's house. It took us all of 30 minutes, you know, but they were just so appreciative to see the appreciation that these people have, how one little act of service or kindness can change someone's life. Oh man, it'll just change your heart. It's almost like that's the way the world should be over there. So I came back to the States thinking, okay, I'm just going to try to implement that in my everyday life. I know it feels so good to go over and do mission work in Africa or Belize, but How can we bring that work here? Because there is a need. And so that just got my wheels turning. I started thinking, okay, I'm nobody really. You know, I'm just one little person on this earth. But I'm going to try to use what I learned over there to make a difference here. And so I was contacted about a lady in need that had escaped an abusive marriage. They left with nothing. Not a vehicle, not clothes, nothing. We just wanted to make her Christmas a little brighter. It was actually my one of my friend's ideas. But when she mentioned it to me, I was like, this is done and done. And so <laughs> I'm not scared to put anything on Facebook, especially when it comes to helping others. And so I threw it up on Facebook. I think my post went a little something like Oxford friends help. I have a friend in need of anything Christmas, you know, anything that you have that you may not be using. There's a person in need and we want to help them within a few minutes. Goodness gracious. My friend said, do you think you should take it off? Because like the donations are just coming in left and right. I had people in other states Venmoing me donations. There was a lady who I barely know. We met one time at the beach years ago. I've only known her through Facebook, except for meeting her over a decade ago. And she reached out and said, I want to help. And we had more than we could have ever imagined. We went over, bebopped up in her house with some lunch and surprised her and did a tree decorated it, decorated her house, and sprinkled Christmas all over her house. It was, you know, one of those moments that you'll never forget. Just tears and tears and tears of joy. And it changed her life. And it changed ours, too. It just came together so beautifully, you know, and this community stepped up like they always do. So it didn't start with me, but I definitely got behind it. And because of that... My eyes have really been opened. There are families and children that desperately need just love to know that they're not alone, that people do care, that this community is willing to step up in times of need. I have so many donations that came in that I just thought, I'm going to post something asking this community If they know of anyone in need, shut-ins or elderly people, single moms or single dads, anybody that could use a a pick-me-up. And I got a handful of responses. People messaged me. We know of another family in need. The two children, they're twins and they're special needs. And so with the extra donations, we are going to surprise the kids with Christmas. So... It's like a domino effect, you know, like once you open the door for change and 
happiness, good things just continue to happen. For me, I'm a single mom, so around the holidays, it gets a little quiet and lonely. And so I had heard about this elderly man who's 90. Uh, He lives by himself. His wife recently passed. And I just couldn't even imagine him sitting in his house alone, quiet. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to take this man some cookies and just say Merry Christmas and just do for him the way others have done for me in the past. I had Lucy in 2009. She's now 12. And so every year since Lucy's been little, I've tried to take the focus off of the gift giving and just how can we provide a smile to someone. One year, she and a friend made little cards and just wrote a Bible verse where Jesus loves you, and they stuck them in envelopes and just colored and made them really cute. And I was actually getting my nails done, and so they walked around the parking lot putting the envelopes on people's cars, and then they snuck back into the nail shop to watch people's reaction when they came out to the cars. And I'll never forget this one man. Oh, man, he looked really grumpy. And he and his wife got in the truck, and he realized there was something on his windshield. So he rolled his eyes, and he got out, and he got the envelope out, and he opened it. And his face lit up, and he punched his wife with his elbow. You know, you could just see everything going down. And they both just sat in the truck with the biggest smiles on their face, giggling. And I was like, that is what it's all about. That's the kind of experience that I want her to have. So every year, we've tried to do something because I want her to have a heart for other people. And so hopefully these little things, these little acts of kindness that we do together will help her. And hopefully when she has children, she'll do the same. It's a big domino effect, you know, just from Lucy and I doing little things. Maybe someone else will do for others, you know. Maybe that man decided to go out and do something for someone else (laughs) because he looked really grumpy. But gosh, I'll never forget the joy that was in his face after he opened that envelope. And just to see Lucy and her friend, they loved watching people's responses That is what it's all about, just taking the focus off of us and gifts. You know, it's about what we can do for others. And uh, there's always a need for giving and donations, service work. There's so many other opportunities that have been presented to me. So I've got a little something up my sleeve for some other people that are in need. This just continues to grow And a lot of times you just get wrapped up in the hustle and bustle of Christmas time. And so I wanted to not focus on myself just because I knew from my experience in Africa how it could affect someone else's life in the most amazing way. I'm going to go on hopefully lots of other mission trips, but I know now that it's not a necessity to go do good deeds in another country. Those deeds can be found here. This community blows me away by their generosity. They're willing to do amazing things and to go above and beyond for somebody. And if if you think you can't make a difference, you're wrong. One little old me can make such a difference and be a blessing to anyone or help anyone. And that's what Christmas is about. And a great job on the production by Madison and a special thanks to Ashley Freeman for telling her story and sharing it with us. By the way, so many Americans do mission work all over the world. Our capacity for generosity is unrivaled. $450 billion a year we give away and $9 billion hours. No other country or series of countries matches that. And it's what makes us great, really. It's our love, our capacity to love, our generosity, and our capacity to serve. And it's not a widely enough reported story about our great people. And that's why we tell them here in Our American Stories. 
If you think you can't make a difference, you're wrong, said Ashley. The story of Ashley Freeman, the story of so many generous Americans and towns rallying for the people around them who need love and who need to know we care. This is Our American Stories. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.